You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open up to the book of Luke. Uh, We are going to be in chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. Um, I want to begin by reading those uh, verses and then praying for us. So verse 22 through 25 of Luke chapter 8. The word of the Lord says this. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, as we look at this miracle that happened, Father, You are going to teach us much from this. You're going to teach us who you are, Lord, and you're going to teach us from the storm. Father, I pray today that each one will be comforted by your word. Lord, because all of us are either in a storm, just left the storm, or about to step into a storm. And in fact, what the Bible says is life here on this earth We live as sojourners, anticipating, yearning, waiting for the day that you come back and make all things right. Lord, that we get to be with you forever in the new heavens and new earth. But while we're here, it's a storm. But that's okay, because you are Lord of the storm. Father, I just pray that you will soften hearts, allow us to hear your word today, Allow us to be changed by your word. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been walking through the book of Luke up um, at Mountain City Church, and I just wanted to remind everyone, again, as I often do, why Luke wrote this book. He wrote this book to Theophilus, and he wanted them to have certainty about the things that they've heard, known, and been taught about Jesus Christ. So everything that he's written in here is so that you have certainty, so that you know what you know about Jesus and all that he has done. We need to start again as we look at this, this miracle account. And there's many miracles as finishes out chapter 8 that we'll be getting into in the coming weeks. But as we look at this miracle, we need to actually unpack and understand what is the purpose of the miracles in the Bible? Why are they there? I mean, like, is it like that we're supposed to be able to go and do those things? Because, you know, the Bible says that all oh, the power that raised Christ from dead is now in me that we get to go do those things. Um, not necessarily, uh, not at all sometimes, but we need to understand what, what the purpose of the miracles are. So if in the, in the book of John, we read in, in 21, 25, this, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Therefore, whenever Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and or John record an incident 
When they preserve an incident out of the life of Jesus, it's not just because it happened. They have a specific purpose for it. Because there's so many things that Jesus did that, like he said, the world would be full if we tried to write them all down. Again, lots of other things happened. The miracles that were actually written down have a twofold purpose for us. As we read them, as we, as we look at them and, and, and uh, just kind of contemplate them, they have twofold purpose. One is redemptive and the other is revelatory. In other words, that they save people and they teach people. That's, that's kind of the, the idea and the purpose of the, of the miracles. They're, they're, they have a redemptive aspect of it and they teach us something about who Jesus is and, and maybe something about our life or how we are living out our life. So if you grasp the revelation, it becomes redemptive. Because it's through his truth that, that we are saved. It's through his word that we are saved and all that Christ has done for us. So what is it that this miracle specifically teaches us? What does this miracle teach us? Of? First thing we should notice is that what it teaches us is about the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see his two distinct natures on display here. Here we have a man with body and flesh, just like you and me, who became weary and tired after a long day ministering to people he's out teaching people he's out healing people he's doing things and he gets in the boat to go to the other side and a storm comes now this lake that they they get into is actually below sea level so oftentimes storms can just roll in the wind comes in and storm comes up and, and you know automatically those that are out on the water are kind of a little bit of trouble but what we see here with jesus is he just gets in the boat because he's tired he's human being and he lays down and he takes a nap. There's no doubt of his humanity here. And all through scriptures and all through the gospels, there is no doubt about Jesus' humanity. He was fully man and fully God, as we will see. But when the storm hits, and he comes saying to him, Master, do you not care that we perish? What does Jesus do? He rebukes the wind and the raging of the sea. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And the disciples say, who then is this? Who then is this can actually tell the sea to calm and to win to stop? Who then is this? Man, absolutely. God, quite obviously. Who else can command the elements? And they listen. This is the mystery and the marvel of Jesus Christ, God and man. Two natures in one person. Two natures unmixed yet resident in the same person. We must start here. Because if we are not clear about this, there is no purpose of going on. If we do not believe in the unique deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are probably not a Christian. Whatever else you may be, if you're denying that, you're denying the fundamental truth of who Jesus is is we are not interested merely in the great the greatest teacher the world has ever seen we are face to face with the fact that god the eternal son has been in this world and that he took upon him human nature and dwelt among us a man amongst men god man we are face to face with, with the mystery and the marvel of the incarnation and the virgin birth it is all here, it, and it shines out in all the fullness 
of his amazing glory. Who then is this? He is more than just a man. That is the answer. He is also God. So the first thing we, we learn is that Jesus is God. He rebukes the storm and there's something to learn from the storm itself. You see, ancient people saw no greater symbol of death, no greater symbol of destruction or chaos than a storm. A typhoon, a hurricane, any kind of storm. They, there was no greater act of destruction that ancient people saw than the storm. I mean, you think about us, that as much science and everything that we have and modern technology, um, yes, we have nuclear weapons that destroy much. But no, most of us know that one hurricane, as we have witnessed in our country many times, one hurricane is far more powerful than any nuclear warhead that we can create. There is no greater symbol of destruction, chaos, than the storm. But Jesus is the Lord of the storm. He rebukes it with a word, and it is still. In Psalm 29, there's a, a tremendous place where it says, The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes and lightning. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, much like a tornado does. This is just his voice. In the beginning, in Genesis, it says that he spoke and everything was created. God is Lord of the storm. In 1992, we were living in Naples, Florida, and many of you remember Hurricane Andrew. Some of you uh, do not because you weren't born yet, but Hurricane Andrew rolled through the southern tip of Florida. And my dad loved me so much, he right about that point in time, he was a property manager for an apartment complex that we were living in. And he loved me so much that he figured what's best is for Charity and the children to go north and for me to stay and help him keep things together as the hurricane hits, you know. Hey, you might as well stay with me, right? So thank you, Dad. Love that. Um, but fortunately, we were on, we were in Naples, so we were on the west side of the storm. And the storm, many of you probably remember, seeing the pictures of Homestead, Florida, that was basically wiped off the map. It was completely wiped off the map. Nothing stood. It was absolutely amazing that where we were, we got a, a ton of wind and there was a ton of damage, yes. But I mean, just stop and think that you look out your window for 12 hours straight and you see palm trees about this big around bent like this and never, they're not swaying like we get back here, right? Whenever storms come in, they, no, they were bent solid for 12 hours straight. It was just absolutely phenomenal, the power of that storm. But the storm teaches us something. It teaches us something. Here's what the storm teaches us, that there are forces before which we stand, and when we see them, we are absolutely helpless. Yeah, I, I was there to help Dad to to help with things, and, and we did. We had to go do some different things, but we weren't going out there whenever the trees are bent like that. Even though I'm a big dude, I probably would have been, you know, thrown around like a little toothpick. But what the storm teaches us is there's forces before which we stand. And when we see them, 
We are absolutely helpless. We're small. They take people away. They take circumstances away. They take safety away. They take jobs away. They take financial security away. The physical storm is just a metaphor for the insecurity of life and how tremendously small and insecure and impotent we are before life. Now, now some of you are younger and really haven't faced this yet. Some of you are older and can absolutely identify with that. It's a metaphor of the insecurity of life and simply how tremendously small and insecure and impotent we are before life. But yet again, Jesus is Lord of the storm. When Jesus says, peace, be still, and it all goes away, he's saying, I am that Lord. I laugh in the face of storms. Storms only have power on loan from me. Right? I read you Psalms 29. It teaches us that the very power of nature is a derivative, a byproduct of God's power. So that storm, that Hurricane Andrew, that wiped away southern Florida and Homestead, that power came from God. So God and Jesus is the Lord of the storms. That means he can control the storms. And that should give us great peace. That should give us great comfort. Because you are his child if you are in Christ. Therefore, he says, if you take refuge in me, there is not a force on the face of earth that will wipe you away. Nothing can wipe you away. You are his. You are his. In me and only in me are you safe, he says to you today. You wake up each day and there's a Cat 5 hurricane staring at you called life. Where do you go? Where do you go? Do you run to the things of this world and try to numb that fact? Try to fill our lives with all these pleasurable things that we think that all these pleasing things will, will numb the fact that we're staring at this Category 5 in our life? Just walking in this fallen world? As I say to my people many, many times, I mean, stop and think about this. If, if you come to Christ, if God saves you and you are now born again, not only this place here, like this place is not a sanctuary, it's a rain shelter. My sanctuary, your sanctuary is now in heaven. But now you live in a world that's fallen, that everybody looks at you differently and everybody thinks of you differently. They think differently. They live differently. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you and trying to change you all the time to be more like Christ. To me, that sounds like a war. But he's still the Lord of that storm also. But are we running to the things of this world to get comfort, to numb those things? Do we have faith in, in those things that the world has provided us more than we have faith in Jesus Christ and all that he has done? That's the question I must leave for you to answer today. But we should know that we can go to him in the middle of the storm. This miracle account actually teaches us something else. Jesus is Lord over the storm, but Jesus sleeping in a boat tells us, and many of us know this and have experienced this, that very often God seems like he's just taking his good old time to get us out of the storm. He's just sleeping. 
I mean, these were fishermen. They've been out on that sea thousands of times. And they were flipping out. <laughs> and Jesus is just taking them out. And they're like, why aren't you up? Why aren't you helping us? Well, because I'm gone. It's all good. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. But Jesus sleeping in a boat tells us so many times God really takes his time about the storms in their life. He lets them come. He lets them rage. He lets the waters come up as the, 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 the boat was filling with water and, and we get anxious and we feel like, oh no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then Jesus stands up and Jesus speaks. And the wonderful thing is, is we don't have to be in the boat. We don't have to be there. What we can do is we can open up the word of God and Jesus speaks. And he'll speak to you. You go to Bible study and, and you open up the word of God and Jesus speaks to you. You come here on Sunday morning and you worship and Jesus speaks to you. And he speaks to that storm in your life. And he says, who are you trusting? Those things around you? Or are you trusting in me? Because he lets them rage sometimes. He lets that water comes up sometimes. He lets the boat start to sink sometimes. Like sometimes we're like, man, we're, well, I'm done. I, it's over. No, not if you're with him. Not if you're with him. It's never over. God often seems asleep. He allows the storm to go on much longer than we would like and longer than we think it should happen. <laughs> right? We got some ideas about this. Like, okay, it's coming. I know that. But let's just do it. If two weeks was done. Let's move on. Right? It's kind of how we think sometimes. Although God has complete control of the storm, he often does not act the way we want him to act in those storms. He often seems asleep like Jesus in the boat. The disciples are flipping out and Jesus is taking nap for some believe it or not for some that come to Christ that's a big disappointment they, they think once you give your life to Christ things are going to just be wonderful well that is a delusion the Bible nowhere says anything like that we read things like what I read before count it all join my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus later on will say to his disciples this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a promise. Both of them are promises. You will have tribulations. And I have overcome the world. You will have tribulations. Not maybe. Not if I do certain things right. Not if I serve and I do. And I'm a good person. I'm a good moral person. I do this. And so that protects me. No. That's not what it says. In fact, sometimes we're about those things. And trying to earn our way to God. And he snatches it up and sticks us in the middle of the storm. To teach us that the only thing that we can trust him for our salvation is him. Is him. It's 
See, now what we often do is we take these two truths and put them against each other. What, what do you mean, Joe? What we often say to ourselves is this. If he has overcome the world, then we wouldn't have tribulations or we shouldn't have tribulation. If we're having tribulation, he has overcome the world. That is the very least not exercising our faith. And at the very root of it, at the very heart of it, is unbelief. It's unbelief because he just said to you, it's going to happen. Right? He, he said it, it's going to happen. He said that tribulation is coming, but he also said that I've overcome the world. So we can't just pick and choose what the word of God tells us. We take it all because we know that he's loving and caring and kind. Jesus doesn't put those two against each other. We may do it, but Jesus says, I have overcome the world, but you will have tribulation. When you go through tribulation, you do so knowing that because Jesus died on the cross, because he rose from the dead, because it is just a matter of time before he comes and puts everything right, because he has defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave, because he has overcome the world, evil and brokenness are passing away. They're passing things. They are temporary. They are temporary. We're just sojourners. We're just passing through. When we take this truth and sink them deep in our hearts, we remind ourselves in him, nothing can wipe us away. In him, nothing can wipe us away. And you know what? This warning is such a good thing. It's such a good thing. Think, just uh, think with me for a moment. Just think with me for a moment. Think about the trials of life, the things that happen in your life, the, the storms that come, the ones that pop up, the ones you see coming. Wouldn't you agree that half or more than half of the trauma from the storms of life are directly related to the surprise sometimes? Now, we might see them coming, but because we have this wrong thinking that, oh, I'm in Christ and, I, I, you know, nothing should be happening to me, then we're surprised they're happening. But sometimes we're just cruising along and something pops up and we're surprised by it. Isn't most of the trauma of a trial or a storm in life because of the surprise in it? When you're sitting around saying, how could God let this happen to me? I've been doing a very good job, I thought. What kind of God would let this sort of thing happen? That surprise, that's like 50, 60, 70% of the trauma of the storm. Guess what? That's our fault. That's our fault. You can't help the pain of living, but you should be able to do something about the surprise about the pain of living. Because God has already told us what's going to happen. So we can do something about that. We can trust him. We can believe his word. He has warned us, in this life, you will have tribulation. So, so far, this miracle has taught us so much that should change us. We know that when the storms of life come, as God cares for us so much that he had Luke write this down so that we would read it. He has called me to come and remind you that he has taken care of all aspects of the storm. 
He's reminded us first that Jesus has overcome it. So yes, we will have pain, but we know that it is not forever. Second, we should not be surprised. He has warned us. He has warned us. And third, when we are in the middle of the storm and we think God is asleep, we can be assured that he is not sleeping. He is not sleeping. The wise person would pray, O oh Lord God, I'm asking for this thing, but please give me what I would have asked for if I could see what you see and know what you know. Why do we love, struggle with living this out? Why do we many times, we look just like those who do not know the Lord when life comes at us? This miracle answers that question and teaches us as well. And it comes in one statement to the disciples who were flipping out in the boat. After the panic is gone, Jesus looks at his disciples after he's calmed the seas, he's calmed the storms, and what does he ask him? He asks them the question, and he's asking us the same question today. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Years ago, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a sermon on this verse. And everyone, everyone that I've read about this passage has referred back to that sermon. Now, you've got to remember why so much context is is why this sermon was so powerful in that day. It's because he's preaching in, in England as they're dropping bombs all around him. And he's saying, where is your faith? Different context than today, right? What he unlocks for us, I think, is the key to trusting Jesus in the storms. And it's probably nothing new, at least it better not be. Nothing I say, nothing I've said today should be new to you. It's what God has given us in his word. Jesus does not say to his disciples, you don't have any faith. He says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He says, get it out. It ought to be there. What are you doing? Where is your faith? He doesn't say they have no faith. He is saying you have faith, but you're not using it. You haven't got it out. You're not using it. That tells us a couple things right away. First of all, it tells us that faith, contrary to popular opinion, is not automatic. It's not automatic. Faith is, is not a feeling. It's not an impulse. It doesn't just happen. I think we, we believe this many times. This is probably the thing that challenged me the most this week as I'm looking at this like, how did I miss this? Like, how could I have missed it? How could, where did I learn this idea that faith should just happen and kick on automatic? I mean, you know, we, we think of it like a thermostat, right? Like it, it's hot outside and we want to cool in here. We set the thermostat. When the temperature gets up a little bit, the, the thermostat tells the AC to kick on and it cools off the place. And we think that's how faith should operate in our life. It doesn't, does it? We, we think that we're, we're, on, we're just on cruise control. And, and we are living our life the way we want to. We're living our life according to our purpose and plans. And then when the storm comes or something happens in life, oh, faith will kick in and it'll be all good. No. no it's, not, it's not how it works. 
I think one, maybe one reason we miss this is because we confuse the gift of faith with the walk of faith. We confuse the gift of faith with the walk of faith. What makes one a Christian is that one is given the gift of faith. We are given the gift of faith by God through the Holy Spirit and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves us. That is the gift of faith, but we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. We are called to walk by faith. We have to exercise faith. We all, we all have rings and, and watches and everything that counts our steps. And we even get in groups of people to, to make sure and challenge each other, which I think is really cool, to just to keep other, everybody accountable about how many steps we take and, and this, that, and the other. Well, how about your faith? Is your brothers and sisters helping you to walk your, out your faith? Are they, are they spurring you on to, to trust in the Lord more and more and more in your life? In different areas of life, with different things happening in the middle of the storm. That's what the church is about. That's why he gave us brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he said tribulation is going to come. And you're going to need some help. And he gave us a faith family to do that. What did the disciples do? They fail to use their faith. They fail to apply what they know about Jesus. They've been with him for everything. And then they're worried about a little bit of storm and a little bit of a water. Where did their faith? They just, uh, we'll just leave it out there somewhere. They failed to apply what they know about Jesus. That is the walk of faith. Each and every day we wake up and we preach the gospel to ourselves so that we can walk by faith. How can you walk by faith if, if you leave here today and you don't open a Bible, you don't talk about God, you don't even discuss God until you come next Sunday? You're not walking by faith. You're misguided about what is happening here on a Sunday morning. Hebrews clearly tells us we are to encourage one another and spur one another on. Yes. But this doesn't give you a ticket to heaven just because you're here. Just because you attend church doesn't mean that you're saved. You have to put your full trust and weight on Jesus Christ, on all that he has done for you. They failed to use their faith. They failed to apply what they know about Jesus. Each and every day, again, we must wake up and preach the gospel to ourselves. The disciples failed to do this. They were being controlled by what they saw. Jesus says, don't you know enough about me? Why didn't you pull it out and use it? Jesus says to the disciples and to us, you, have, you know I have raised the dead. You know I have healed thousands of people. You know that one thing I've ever said has, has not come true. You know these things, but yet you didn't pull out your faith. You didn't exercise your faith. Why in the world don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? There's no shortcut, friends. You can't get strength to walk through life storms by some general faith. The Bible is very no nonsense. The Bible says faith is applying what you have been convinced of, what you have seen, what you know. Let me put it this way. 
Do you believe Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God incarnate, born in a manger? Do you believe he died on a tree, died on Calvary's hill, died on the cross for you? Not for that person because that person is a lot more worse than me, but he died for you in an absolute giant gulf between you and God because of your sin. Do you believe that? That he died for you? That he died for you? Do you believe he was physically raised from the dead? Do you believe he passed through the heavens and he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, that he will come someday to judge both the living and the dead? Do you believe that you are a child of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ today? That's who you are if you are in Christ. If you believe that, there's all the hope in the world, brothers and sisters. There's all the hope in the world. You can face anything if you take that out and apply it. Jesus doesn't say, well, you should just have thought, you should have just thought positively about things. What he says is, you know enough about me, but you are refusing to be controlled by it. You should have gotten it out and used it. You can trust him today. Jesus, you see, just like, just like, you know, Hebrews tells us that he's felt everything that we felt and he can sympathize with us and he knows what you're going through. Let me tell you, he went through a storm. He went through a storm for you and me. In fact, he passed through the greatest storm that has ever happened or will happen. And that is the storm of God's wrath. When Jesus Christ was stretched out on the cross at the top of Mount Calvary, God forsook his own son and poured out the wrath we deserve onto him. A Christian is somebody who gets out what they know when a storm comes. Jesus did that for each one of us here today. If you walk by faith, You'll be able to face anything, anything at all. Not saying you do it with a smile on your face and a skip in your step. No. But you can get through it. Sometimes we might have to white knuckle it, and there might be some brothers and sisters around us white knuckle it with us. But you can get through it. The most encouraging thing about the miracle is that the storm goes away because they go to him. They go to him. Even though they go to him so badly, like, where's your faith? Why didn't you get out of your faith? They did go to him. They go to him so badly. They, they go to him so weakly. They go to him so impurely. But they go to him and he responds. Just go to him today. It doesn't matter the quality of your faith. If you just go, it's faith. You're not saved by the quality of your faith. You're saved because he died for you. Don't you see? Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. It's not the purity of your heart. It's not the perfection of your faith. It's him. Just go to him. And maybe you'll find contentment in the storm.
just like Paul, as he's sitting in prison, writing these words. Not that I am speaking of being in need, or I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word and this encouraging word that shows us that we are to go to you in the middle of the storm, before the storm, after the storm. We are just to go to you because you care so deeply for us. How can we not look at the cross and understand the love you have for us? And how are you not full of joy because we, we know that there's an empty tomb. The, our Savior is risen and he has defeated death, hell, and the grave and sin. Father, we rejoice in that today. Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not trust you, I pray that you have changed their hearts so they can respond in faith, the faith that you give them through the new birth. Lord, I pray that they would trust in you. And Lord, for all those dear saints that may be in the middle of the storm or coming out of a storm or, or just hearing this, wherever they're at, or maybe they know somebody in a storm, maybe they'd be encouraged to take out their faith. To trust in what you know about God, about his promises, about who he is, what he's done, who we are, and that we would live it out. We would live that faith out. Lord, we can't do that, as Paul says, without your strength. We can't do that without you. We can't do that without your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to do that more and more each day as we walk the walk of faith. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.